and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. We take part ourselves. That's right. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And today, boy, we have some, dare I say, out of this world guests. <laughs> Literally <was> true. <laughs> so 565 people have been to outer space as of this moment. And we have one of them in the room here. Colonel Terry Verts. Welcome. To Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Yeah, it's great to be here. I I think the first phenomenon should be deja vu because I'm like, have I done this before? <laughs> That's wild. Familiar. Well, we've talked before uh, yes, in a, at Disney. a previous life. Yes, yeah. but we have another amazing guest with us today. And I'll describe her quickly as just someone, if you have an impossible technical feat that needs to be done, you give it to Janneke Mikkelsen. And she is here today. Welcome, Janneke, to Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Thank you so much, Ross and Carrie. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's quite an honor for me to be here today. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, thank you so much. The honor is ours. Thank you for coming today. So I first met Janneke when you had directed a live 3D panoramic, you know, 360 degree Queen concert with this, not jury rigged, uh, Janneke rigged collection of GoPro cameras suspended from wires with crazy choreography. Is any of that right? Did I get that right? She's lying. Laughing silently. <laughs> yeah, well. it, it was this amazing thing that no one should be able to do, and you did it. The re- brief from the band from Queen was that they wanted a 3D 360 movie that flew around the arena, the concert arenas, if it was a spaceship. Because famed guitarist ah. Brian May is a big advocate and fan of stereography and you know those kinds of technologies and photography. So he wanted to, to bring you in to do this, right? Well, well, the point was that they wanted 360 because they wanted to include their fans. The only reason why they tour now that they're over seven is because the fans demanded so they want mm. to give give something back to the fans and the 360 show shows the fans and the concert but of course Brian May being a stereoscopic collector and a historian yeah. and specializing in Victorian stereoscopic photography and also astrophotography right. he leads the London stereoscopic company if anyone's Correct. interested in learning more uh, so he wanted the whole concert in 3D yeah but then I met you again when you collaborated with Terry on the One More Orbit project. So we'll want to talk about that, too. Uh, But first, just to give a little more preface on Terry, you've flown... Uh, Two missions. One was a two-week space shuttle flight, and then one was a 200-day Soyuz flight. Wow. Amazing. So how much time have you spent in space? Uh, A little over seven months. Wow. (laughs) It was seven months. (laughs) It was quite a while. And uh, you were up on the International Space Station. How fast is it going? 17,500 miles an hour. It's amazing just to essentially stay at orbit, right? Because right, basically what you're doing is falling because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's gravity. You're not in zero G. You're, there's gravity up there. So as you fall, you move forward at five miles a second or eight kilometers a second. And that speed, if you're at the right speed, will be the same shape as the Earth. So that's basically what an orbit is. So it just perfectly counteracts the falling. Right. So you end up floating. Yep. That's a wild thought. Falling for nine months. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Seven months. Falling for for a a long long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) While you're doing that kind of work, what are you thinking of as like the purpose of your day to day up there? Are you there to collect evidence? Are you there to educate? Are you there to further exploration? Yeah. So the first flight I did, the shuttle flight, I was the pilot. And our job was to deliver the last modules on the space station. So we brought up something called Node 3, which is a big living room, and something Mm -hmm. called the cupola, which is this awesome 
seven windowed observatory. Mm -hmm. Oh, you brought that up there. I did. I installed it. And then that was like the end of the assembly sequence. So it took over a decade to build this massive million pound spaceship. And then a few years later, I went back and ended up saying 200 days and I was the commander. And then I did everything. We did science and unpacked cargo ships and I did spacewalks and I was the crew doctor and I kind of did a little bit of everything. So cool. Do you have to keep a particular focus in mind? Like I'm doing this for all of humanity or (laughs) is it just so fun that you kind of don't have to have that? I think 99% of it is work. I mean, Mm. they have the schedule for you. It's kind of like Outlook, only it's down to the minute. And there's a red line and that red line moves and it was moving for seven months. And, you know, as soon as you're done with one box, you right click on it click complete and then the next box is there and so you move on to the next procedure is there any yeah is there any leeway if you get sick or something like that to move your schedule around they some of the procedures are flexible some of them have to be done on time so i pretty much always did things on time just to keep it simple some guys like to be flexible and hey can i move this around but for me i just did what they told me when they told me to do it Amazing. But Terry sometimes compares himself to like the cable guy when he goes outside <laughs> of the spaceship. Like that's what EBA. we did. We laid the most cables ever. We laid like 400 feet of cable on these on two of our three spacewalks because mm-hmm. eventually Boeing and SpaceX are going to be sending capsules there. This is back in 2014, and we're like, oh, Boeing and SpaceX are sending capsules, and now it's 2019. But hopefully next year they'll do it. And when they do, they'll need power and data. So I laid the cables for those capsules coming up hopefully next year. Amazing. And speaking of going outside the ship and, and being the cable guy, if I recall, you told a story about practicing coming out of the ship and jumping across to grab onto a fixture. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> you go out of the airlock. There's this big hatch. You check your buddy over, make sure every his suit's good, your suit's good. And then you crawl to your, using your hands, you crawl to your work site. So there's this storage area a few feet away. It's called ESP2. There's a bunch of spare components on there. And you can reach like the whole wingspan of me. If I outstretch both arms, I can go from the airlock and grab onto this thing Mm -hmm. and then go. It's a shortcut. (laughs) If you don't do that, you've got to crawl an extra 30 feet and it takes a couple minutes. And you want to save every second you can. Hmm. So in the pool for practice, I would always reach over and grab this module and go, and that would save me three minutes of time. You said the pool, so underwater. Underwater for training in Houston. We practice spacewalking in a pool so that you're in this 400-pound spacesuit. It's a way to float. It's like, no big deal. I can let go of the station for a second to go grab this ESP. Well, I would never let go, really, but it was like the full length of my (laughs) – Yeah, there's a David Bowie song about what happens there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The short-armed astronauts can't do that. They always have to do it. But mine was, mine was just barely. So I've got my first spacewalk. I go out. I check my crewmate over. You're good. The helmet's good. The equipment's good. And I reached over and I stopped immediately and I just crawled. Kept, I kept both hands on the station. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Suddenly not worth You realize it. the magnitude of the situation. Yeah. What does the Earth look like underneath you, Terry? That was sort of the first thing, except for before I did the first thing, the very first thing I did, I went out the hatch and it was nighttime, thankfully, so I couldn't see anything. But some astronauts had gotten really dizzy by seeing the Earth. Mm. So I took a tether. They have these like short couple feet tethers. You can clip them to the station. Then you can let go and you'll you'll only float a few feet. Mm -hmm. So I put the clip down on the hatch and I let go. The very first thing I did as soon as I got outside is I let go and I looked down at the Earth. (laughs) And I went, all right, I'm fine. I'm not going to fall. I just wanted to mentally convince my brain that it's all all good. I'm not going to fall. But it looks amazing. Like to see the Earth – 
you just can't imagine it. Like you've yeah. got a book there that's yes, I do. Pretty nice I wrote book. this. Yeah, it's a no, nice book. No, you wrote this. Now you've, I was gonna say uh, for our flat Earth friends, we've spent some time with them. They would say, "Well, these are lies, and you're, and you're making all this up." But, you know, show us photos to prove it. Uh, you've taken photos, haven't you? Yannick <laughs> had a funny idea a couple years ago. Somebody was wanted to raise some rapper wanted to raise money to launch B-O-B. a satellite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, I was like, hey. What's your address? I'll send you a copy of my book. You know, I've seen Earth at Trout. If the Earth was flat, I'd still be going eastbound at 17,000 miles an hour. Thankfully, it's round, and I came around and came back and landed. Yeah, so. Terry's like, hey, I can save you a bunch of money. Well, to, to fake these photos yeah. would take so much work and skill and craft. And, and I've worked with a film crew trying to generate one of these realistic How easy is it states. to hide anything today? Oh, there, nobody the is number capable of, of hiding anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, the number yeah. of people required. Because of, yeah, social the media. Time required. I mean, it's just not possible. And so. why would you make a book this thick with photos? You know, you'd make one half the size and be like, there we go. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah we we're looking enough. at like a 300-page book no, here. But the, but the earth is so beautiful. It's just, yeah. it's awesome. It's it's impossible. Like this, those photographs, you know, they're pretty cool. And here we're doing this right next to an IMAX theater today. And they're, the movies you watch are just gorgeous. Like they're so beautiful. And and they don't even come close to what it's really like. Yeah. Like it takes your breath. It's such an emotional experience to see the planet, to like not be on the planet and look down there and go, hey, yeah. there's my planet. I want and to see it, a really good VR experience that maybe approximates that slightly. I actually made one, actually, a spacewalking VR experience. You did? Yeah, with a Canadian company. Oh. It hasn't, hasn't been released yet. I can't okay. wait. It's really cool. That's the graphics in it are very good. And you can crawl around and do a spacewalk. Geek out on photography for half a second. What's your equipment that you take up there? So the basic camera on the station is a Nikon. It was a D4 when I was there. Now they have D5s. It's just a basic big Nikon camera that you see when there's a press conference or there's a sporting event. You know, Nikons. We also had a Red Dragon, which is like a Hollywood. Yeah. At the time, there's a YouTube video. They did a summary of this stuff I shot. It was the first ever ultra high def. It was really cool. But for the IMAX movie, I shot A Beautiful Planet. We did that on Canon. And we had a Canon 1DC, which is, again, watch the at the World Series tonight, all the photographers, a lot of them are going to have Canon 1Ds. That's baseball. Um, that's right. It's sports ball. Yeah. <laughs> Just letting the other yeah. listeners know. Yeah, it's in the fourth inning, and it's killing me to not be watching this oh, uh, no, I'm play sorry. by play. But I'm, but I'm being good. Well, at least Scherzer you. has a lot of pitches on him. Hopefully, we'll get him out in the fifth inning. <laughs> so the Canon 1D is a still camera that we shot most of the movie on and there's also a canon c500 which is like a hollywood video camera oh nice and we also used a gopro and we had a sony 3d camera and we had uh this little camera called a ghost which is sort of like a gopro and a little we had film a lot, studio up in it, space. We, it was one of each. We well, had this, lots of cameras. This is a problem working with Terry. So we work on filming projects yeah. together, and he'll just randomly go because there's a lot of heavy equipment, right? <laughs> and the lenses are big, and the cameras are big, and heavy and bulky. And he's like, "Oh, this is so much easier in space." <laughs> Helpful. It's true. You don't need all these. <laughs> yeah. There's a funny video we were watching. Changing lenses. The my director of photography had a clip last night. He was showing and. It was so awesome. You just hold this big, it's probably a 10-pound lens. It's a giant piece of glass. You just let it go, take the other lens off the camera, and then grab it while it's floating in front of you, put it on. takes, you know, 10 seconds. On Earth, you'd need a camera assistant and a gaffer and a best boy. Did he try doing that on the One More Orbit project, (laughs) (laughs) taking a lens off and hoping it would float? (laughs) They they never floated. Apparently, you have a story about that coming back to Earth. I think you were drinking some water or something. Oh, yeah. My parents were there, and I went to... 
I said, hey, do you want a water bottle? And I just like I went to float it to them. But it <laughs> floated for like a half a second before it, <laughs> before it hit the ground. How long had you been back on Earth when that happened? Uh, hours. Oh, OK. Yeah, it was like okay. my first day back. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that your perspective has to shift substantially after being in space. Yeah. And I'm sure that everything seems a bit smaller here on Earth. Do you have to then sort of convince yourself to like still take earthly problems seriously? Oh, yeah. That's my mission now is to focus on earthly problems because that's where mm. all everybody is. Yeah. There's a handful of people in space and they're going to come back to Earth. So mm -hmm. everybody that's ever been and everybody maybe that's ever going to be is from here. So we need to take care of the planet. There's no plan B. Mm -hmm. And these the things seem to be going crazy nowadays with this move towards these dictators and these strongmen and, you know, everybody's Populism. this nationalism and stuff. It's a real problem like that. Yeah. You can kind of laugh about it. It's good for the late night comedians, mm -hmm. sort of, except for yeah. those lead to wars, you know. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of problems that I want to solve are down here on Earth. And uh, we mentioned the book. We should say the name uh, View from Above. That's right. An it's astronaut a cool title. photographs the world. Absolutely. Uh, published through National Geographic. That's right. So, yeah. Beautiful book. Thanks. And yeah, Carrie's brought hers to get signed. Yes, I have. I'll and also, <laughs> great. Sign every page. Um, <laughs> also, I wanted to uh, read a little passage from it, if I may. Maybe we can sure. get our listeners to all buy this huge book. Okay. So this is from Chapter 8, The Human World. Seeing our planet from space. Seeing our place in the universe, going out into space during a spacewalk, living and working in weightlessness. These things changed my perspective on life and our place in the universe. This new perspective took me some time to sink in. At first, the continuous wonder of spaceflight took all my attention. But the longer I spent gazing down at Earth from orbit, the more I began to recognize places I knew. And more than that, the more I began to notice evidence of humanity— from space, there is so much to learn about our place in this world and the impact we've had on it. And then you talk about how everyone asks you if there are aliens. <laughs> and uh, and you make the point that if an alien passes over Earth, they might not even know humanity was ever here. And you go on, he, meaning the alien, would also be able to see contrails of airplanes, especially over the east coast of America, as well as Europe. He could even see an occasional boat and especially crowded harbors. The ships waiting to come into port show up as a series of dots. And in busy shipping lanes, wave patterns on the open oceans are visible in the right sun glint. But by and large, there is no immediate telltale sign of human activity during the day. This poor alien might just buzz right past Earth without even knowing we were down there. That's all That's true. Good. You wrote that? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I, I must mean, have been in my sleep. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's, it's so lovely, yeah. Yeah. I make fun of Terry because he's such a hog and sort of astronaut and test pilot <laughs> and fighter pilot. But when he writes, he changed personality mm. to like emotions. Mm. I, I, I really struggle getting emotions mm. out of it. Mm. I'm very emotional. <laughs> well, tell us about that. What about what is it the process of writing that kind of frees those things? That's a good question. I think there's something about me. I'm a lot of times I'm extroverted, but really I'm an introvert. Mm. So being in front of people makes me clam up and I want to do all these TV shows and movies. And, you know, I had a big role in One More Orbit, but I'd really rather just sit by myself. And so I have this weird personality. So sometimes uh, writing things is easier for me to express myself. And 
I was for sure the least likely to write a book in high school. I mean, I got C's in English. Mm. I constantly apologize to my English teachers whenever I'm doing anything mm. on air because I'm sorry, Miss Mitchell and Miss Herman, but I was a bad <laughs> student. I was really bad. But well, look um, who's a published author now. <laughs> yeah, Miss Herman. Book number two is coming out next year. Hey, nice. and yeah, and I. By the way, I hate to let you know a secret, but most astronauts don't write their own book. Oh, okay. Um, Ghostwriters. Yeah, but I wrote everything in there. My, now I had an editor that helped me, and she mm-hmm. she was great. Uh, Susan was awesome, but for the most part, yeah, no, I wrote the whole thing, and then I rewrote the stuff that she told me to rewrite. So that's great. Um, and the next book is was one hundred eleven thousand words, so it was a lot of words uh, when I turned in the manuscript. But I like writing. I love writing. I love storytelling, and that's I don't great. know why. So if that wasn't all enough, you undertook the One More Orbit project. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, what's involved in One More Orbit? What what record yeah. did you set? We a lot. We set like, I think, 14. Our mutual friend, Hamish Harding, uh, had this idea to set a world record flying around the planet. Mm-hmm. And he was looking at the types of airplanes and what records we could get. And he wanted to do over the poles. So we flew over the North Pole, South Pole, and back. And, and we took off and landed from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, the same place I took off and landed in the space shuttle, because this year was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 500 so, years anniversary of Magellan as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was like bonus Fascinating. all the way around. And the one more orbit year. <laughs> and the one more orbit year, yeah. Yeah. So we flew around uh, the planet faster than anybody ever did. You were in a Gulfstream? We were in a Gulfstream business jet, yeah. So we just did a movie about it. I got to direct my first movie, which was awesome, and Yannicka was a big part of it. And we were doing credits. Yannicka's credits don't fit on one line because she had so many different roles (laughs) in there. So originally, I asked her to be a photographer. So I asked her to be one of our – she's a cinematographer. So And I knew I needed that on board because I – yeah, I can grab a camera, but I can't film and be in it and do everything right so we she was supposed to do that and then somebody had the idea of let's live stream this thing and <laughs> so that turned into a massive monster so well, she kind of got taken away into that you know the problem with live streaming like everybody here hears this podcast via the internet and yeah mm-hmm. i guess our producers uh, and even the people from the airline just assumed well there's this wi-fi on the airplane you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but they don't usually fly over the antarctic over the north pole exactly. right i'm <laughs> right. just like so exactly where is this wi-fi signal coming right. from this is exactly the sort of problem like okay this would need a team of 20 to figure out let's have yannicka do it <laughs> we're not over the 101 yeah we're, you know thank- yeah thankfully we're yeah. going faster than that tell us the story how did that happen so okay, so we need a few satellites to help us uh, help us and um, uh, got in contact with Inmarsat and Satcom Direct, and they go, yeah, this sounds like a really cool project, you know, following guys around the world. How many satellites do you need? I was like, well. All of how, them. How many do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that's good negotiation there. Yeah. I'm not going to start with the satellite number. You tell me. <laughs> what did they tell you? How many did they have? So I took all of them. <laughs> <laughs> did they have to move any of these satellites for you? Yeah, they had to move them for me as well. It took us a week to move them into position. That's why, oh, and- my gosh. How many was it? Total, do you know? So, um, well, there's four main ones, and then there's a fifth one that they can maneuver into position that's not geosynchronous, and then there's uh, additional satellite coverage to help us over the North Pole. Wow. It's wild. And so normally they would have to be 
performing other functions, did they have to like kind of requisition some bandwidth for you? Well, yeah. So the main problem actually is that when you fly over the North Pole and the South Pole is that you don't have a compass, that you can't use a compass mm-hmm. and you can't use the satellite signal. Oh. So that was the main problem. That's come happen. up in our debates with flat earthers. You know, mm. they feel that there's a bunch of hokum happening with flights that supposedly go from like Australia to the uh, tip of South America. They would say, oh, well, they pass out of GPS. They're making up their location. Yeah, well, I mean, in a nutshell. So if I jump back to the first question, was it? Yeah. yeah, we. I had to ask them for both the commercial spots and and the government spots, the ones that aren't used for commercial activity. Huh. And I also had to ask them to. So each satellite is exists of spots that okay. they beam onto the aircraft. Okay. And they also gave me this super app where I could like block other people and like keep the satellite oh my. juice for myself. <gasps> oh so, wow! So you need to establish line of sight with the satellite. Yeah. And then and then you and have that's the problem. If you can't see the satellite, the satellite can't see you. Can it see through? I assume clouds. Not. Really, we fly above the clouds. If we're on the ground, Mm -hmm. it's hard to get a hold of them. Ground is the problem. Yeah, clouds Mm. are okay. Rain is also a problem. Are you keeping a steady altitude during this whole flight? Well, we were mostly in the high 40s, but we had to... There's another story about Antarctica, but we were pretty high up. So higher than a commercial flight. Yeah, but like if you go through your neighborhood, there's antennas, and they're always pointing in the same direction. Yeah. That's because the satellite's what's called geosynchronous. It's over the equator. And it kind of all stays in the same point with relative to the Earth. So you never have to move your satellite mm-hmm. mm. in these latitudes. But you go up to the North Pole, you can't see something orbiting over the equator. So oh, it's right. really on the horizon. So as we got closer to the North Pole, the satellite was like 20 degrees above the horizon, 10 degrees above the horizon. And then when we got close to the North and South Pole, it was right on the horizon. So Yannicka was tracking the signal strength. And we ended up – there was a funny story. CNN, Anderson Cooper did an interview with us. You can do satellite phone. There are these satellites called Iridium oh, and yeah. some others that you can do. You a see north, those every now and then. You can those do a telephone moving, call with. Uh, yeah, yeah, across really the sky. Crappy to like signal. It's like, yeah. Oh, really? But okay. you can do a phone call. But those okay. are not geosynchronous. But they're not. No. So you can get them over the North Pole. And so the our mm. researchers in Antarctica use those for phone calls, but they're not good enough for bandwidth. You uh, get mm, oh right. yeah, live video. So to streaming. do live video, it's we barely had good enough for a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was supposed to do Anderson Cooper. We're up, up at the North Pole, supposed to do it. We're coming down to 15 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to have to do phone. Then five minutes. Then about a minute left. I said, Yannicka, I'm, forget this. I'm going to do the phone. And then 30 seconds before, she grabs her cell phone and goes, here, we're on, and just starts filming. And like literally <laughs> within seconds of going on air with Anderson, it just popped up. And I was like, oh, hey, we're, we're over the North Pole. Wow. And then we were really far north then. I don't know how, 80 some degrees north. We were really far wow. north. And these satellites all have, I think, 22 antennas. Yeah. So they, right. So yeah. they're not, it's not just one giant antenna because it covers all kinds of parts of the earth. But uh, they normally don't point their antennas at the North and South Pole because, you know, for no the one lives eight there. people Why who are there. Right, right. For the, the polar bear mm-hmm. and the penguin on so either side. So that Yannick side. was able to talk them in. And they so they started pointing these things. And they, they need to know our exact ground track so they could know where to point them. So, But they, also the problem really is we're up. going almost at the speed of sound. So Yeah, we were moving fast. So they had to track us at a certain time and they don't have it wasn't a radar that actually tracks the airplane they just had to know when and where to point it so they needed to know like exactly when we were going to be places how long does it take mm-hmm. to pull all these strings and, and get them to it we only this? had like <laughs> days I mean, we only the whole thing came together days. at the last second 
But uh, we had people around the world working around the clock, like everywhere from Sydney to the yeah. States to uh, the Middle East to Europe. And we had yeah. headquarters everywhere working 24-7. Amazing. That, that's another thing. Like, okay, so if you need someone to do the job of 20 people, but you also need it done fast and well – which are usually right. at odds and cheaply, yeah, and cheaply, right? Yeah, those are, that's the golden yeah. three. You can you can have two, but not uh, yeah, exactly. But not three. Yeah. Faster, better, cheaper. You get two or three. <laughs> Call Yannick if you want all three. <laughs> <laughs> Except you should pay. I, what, I agree. What she's worth. I got paid twice what Yannick got paid. Uh, oh, two, okay. Two that kind of math that's actually not true. I I still haven't been paid. So. These were labor, <laughs> labors yeah. of love. Okay. Yeah. yeah, science is such a beautiful example of collaboration, which I think it often doesn't get credit for. But here's a story about all these nations participating together in this project in what a few days i mean that's that's really extraordinary that is one of the themes of this movie i wanted ah. to make originally when i was going to be a pilot and it all came together too late so mm. hamish the guy that put it together said why don't you make a movie and I, I, that's what i want to do in life so it was a perfect opportunity but we were yannick and i talked like how do you make you could make a five minute thing about setting a world record but how do you make an hour-long movie about guys flying in a business jet. I mean, so well, I was worried about it. The International Space Cooperation is that even though a country is at war, you will still cooperate in space. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So actually, Terry has a great story about that. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're going through the movie, eventually I came to realize that the setting the record is like the excuse for it. Okay. But there's a lot bigger ideas that I want to talk about. So we talked about the cool. environment. We talked mm. about international cooperation. When we stopped for gas in Kazakhstan, we picked up <laughs> like my you do. space station in Astana. If you're running low on, we were running low on gas, so there was Astana. So we stopped. My, Gennady Padalka, my crewmate from the space station, joined us and flew down to Mauritius, and uh, that was the best part of the movie. It's really a funny part, but I the, can't wait. One of the one of the things, so space cooperation in general, and how I, like Apollo brought the world together. And so that's one of the things we were talking about is how Apollo brought the world together and this can bring the world together. And here, mm -hmm. America, Russia have not exactly been the best of friends the mm -hmm. last few years, mm -hmm. but here Gennady and I are having a great time. And so uh, that was a big part of it. And when I was in space... And Russia allowing us to get a direct flight path as well, oh, which was quite difficult. Oh, normally that would not be... Yeah, normally. So when you're... There are these fixes that you have to fly to and then you go wherever you want. No so fly zones. Well, sort of. Just, you know, America, everybody has them. So mm -hmm. the one for Russia is kind of out of the way. And our one of our pilots is Ukrainian. So he called up and said, hey, we're going to pick up Gennady Padalka, the hero of Russia. And hero of Russia is a big deal. It's like Medal of Honor kind of thing. Oh, it's an actual so title. All of a sudden, oh, yeah. Like hmm. you don't wait in line. You get special license oh. plate. It's a big deal. Hold on. Russia. Let me put this on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hero of Russia. Geroi Rasi. Gennady is like what, 879 days in space. Yeah, he's got the most ever, ever of any human. Hmm. Like he spent more time in space. Wow. So once we told him that, the c controller was like, okay. And they cleared us direct. Like wow. we got to fly across, wow. across Russia the whole way. Friends literally in high places. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's good to know Gennady Padalka. So yeah, when I was in space, we had a similar story in that. We're sitting there. We had this ammonia leak, which is a super dangerous emergency. It's chapter five in View From Above. Okay. And uh, we thought the station was going to die. We were sequestered on the Russian segment because they don't use ammonia. They use uh, glycol as their coolant fluid. Oh. The Americans use ammonia as our coolant fluid, which is better and more efficient and it takes more heat away. Suck it, Russians. The problem is it kills you dead. Oh, we're talking so about that, unity right now. I take it yeah. back. <laughs> so the one advantage the Russian system has is it doesn't kill you dead if it leaks. Mm. So, yeah, we're Amer America's okay. great. We have these fancy systems. Suck it, America. It just kills we're you number dead. one at killing yeah. people. <laughs> right. right. And so similar thing. The Space Shuttle Columbia, we a piece of foam put a hole in the wing, and it killed the crew, seven oh, of my good right. friends. Mm. The Russian Soyuz, yeah. one time it came back to Earth backwards. 
without the, with the heat shield pointed in the wrong direction mm. and survived. And survived, yeah. So oh, wow. the Russian stuff is simpler, but it works. But hardy. <laughs> it's hardy, yeah. Yeah. And okay. the American stuff's more capable, but it breaks. And so, anyway, that was a good example of that. So hmm. the deputy prime minister, a guy who had tweeted, hey, Americans, you can take a trampoline to get to the space station. Because we had shut down our program, and the only way we could get to the space station was on the Russian Soyuz. Yeah. Mm. So he wasn't very happy about sanctions. So in the middle of all this mess that everybody knows about, he called up and said, hey, you can stay as long as you want. We're going to work together. We're going to get through that. It was a great example of international cooperation, mm-hmm. how things can and should go. That's and this awesome. guy had actually walked me out to my Russian rocket. He, like, held my arm as I was carrying my spacesuit and my cooling things and stuff. So it's a good space and exploration in general is a, one of the few things that can unite people, I think. Amazing. Hey, everybody. Ross here. Sorry to interrupt this interview, but we got to go to the billing department. And today I am joined not by Carrie, but by Cara Blotcher. You've all heard me talk about Kara before, my lovely wife, though you've also heard her in our Ouija board episode and our Thrive documentary commentary bonus content. We're celebrating Thanksgiving right now, and Carrie and I were not able to record before we left. So first of all, though, I do want to say, as I was editing this, I don't know how I missed out on the obvious joke of Terry the Cable Guy as he was laying cables. I apologize, listeners. That was an oversight on my part. Yeah, sorry. Total letdown. Also, I'm sure you're wondering, wait a second, didn't they just interview David Mickelson recently? Is Yannicka Mickelson related? No. Different Mickelson with an E-N, not an O-N. But I do think that's pretty impressive that we had two Mickelsons on the show in relatively quick succession. But we're going to talk about this is actually perfect. Today we're talking about a great product for your feet. It's called... You've tried Rothy's before. I have, and they're so comfortable, and they come in an amazing array of styles and colors. I always tell people about your experience with Rothy's, uh, but here you are to talk about them yourself. You've got the black. Yeah, I went totally plain, but I love them. They work with everything, and they're machine washable. And yet they're made out of plastic bottles. That's crazy. I know, but so comfortable. So, if you're looking for the perfect gift for the woman in your life who's always on the go and loves a good balance of fashion and function... Uh, consider Rothy's. They're chic, stylish, and fully machine washable. Best of all, they're incredibly comfortable and have zero break-in period thanks to their seamlessly knit design. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping, free returns, and free exchanges. Rothy's are available in a wide array of colors and patterns. Check out seasonal styles at rothys.com slash oh no. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash oh no. But hey, this is perfect. Our other sponsor this week is none other than ModCloth. And this is another sponsor that I always talk about your experience with. In fact, you just ordered some new items from ModCloth, right? I did. Thank you, ModCloth. They've got some good post-Thanksgiving deals, so uh, try to get in there real quick while you can. So what is ModCloth? They design vintage-inspired apparel made relevant for right now. Crafted by a team of in-house designers, signature styles include bright, hand-drawn prints in an inclusive size range that celebrates all women. You'll find quality pieces that are versatile enough to wear to work or on the weekend. Feeling gifty but not sure what to give? ModCloth's gift guide has something for everyone. Seriously, go check out their unique gift selection. ModCloth believes fashion should celebrate all women. That's why they include a size range from 00 to 28. Oh, wow. No, they have a lot of really fun clothing that you cannot find anywhere else. So give it a try. So hurry. This offer is only valid for a limited time. To get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com and enter code ONO at checkout. 
That's 15% off your purchase of $100 or more at modcloth.com with code ONO. And back to the interview with Terry, Carey, and Yannicka. I should mention, we're here at USC right now recording, less than a quarter of a mile away from the Endeavor, the space shuttle that you were My on. space shuttle, yeah. In fact, there's a scene in One More Orbit. I went out there for Endeavor, yeah. Uh, it was really cool to see it. Like, last time I saw it, I was flying it, and now here it is. Your old friend. Yeah, it's really neat. It's, it's a, an amazing thing. The California Science Center, is that mm-hmm. where it is? It is. Yeah, see. just right across the street. Mm. Yeah, great place. Yeah. The now, Endeavor or the Science Center? Both. Okay. Uh, but you know the Endeavor a little better. I do. It's probably hard. It probably smells musty in there. I mean, the hatch has been closed for like eight years. And, and it's it's not spelled. It's spelled with the O-U-R because it's named Endeavor. after a ship. After like, There's been a million Endeavor ships, but it's named after, I think, Captain Cook's Endeavor. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, Yannick. 1700s. Yannicka, I want to hear the story because I know that as you're doing this live. I haven't been in space. (laughs) Well, you've (laughs) circumnavigated the planet faster than anybody else except for Terry here. And at least uh, across the poles. Actually, I was You were in the front front of the plane, yeah. (laughs) Oh, you you beat him. Yeah, you beat him across the finish line first. (laughs) And so as you're doing this live stream, people are watching and I assume commenting. You probably have, I would imagine, some flat earth proponents who are interested in this endeavor, to, to use a loaded word here. <laughs> what were they saying and doing as you were live streaming this video that was essentially disproving this uh, model that they have with the North Pole at the middle of the disk and the South Pole is this ice ring? I, I think Archimedes disproved that a couple thousand <laughs> years ago, but anyway. Fair yeah. point. Your book of photographs of the Earth also disproved that. <laughs> uh, but this live stream of yours, yeah, it's hard for them to explain, right? Well, I, I guess the question was how we're going to reappear on the other side once we go over the edge of the South Pole. How do yeah. we pop up on the other mm-hmm. side? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Uh, time warping, obviously. <laughs> it, I mean, did anyone say anything like that? Or what were the comments like as people were watching? Do you know what? I was too busy to read the comments. Yeah. Okay. I, I, you're, Good for my you. My job is to babysit satellites and it's, it's yeah. you're awake for 46 hours. You're doing hours. work yeah. and uh, forget the I have, haters. I've never stayed awake for 46 hours, but it was it was torture, kind of just babysitting, and you just become delusional eventually. Um, but it was kind of interesting from my point of view because when we do go LOS, so we lose the signal of the satellite, and we're over the South Pole, mm-hmm. we can't talk to anybody, and we can't communicate if we have an emergency like we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was yeah. time that you had to go offline. Yeah. So for a good eight hours, we are uh, without signal over the South Pole. Uh, oh, wow. And our aircraft actually ran into a bit of trouble there. And oh, there no. was nobody we could yeah. contact to let them know that we were in trouble. We talked to the people at the South Pole. <laughs> yeah. Like there were some scientists in a Station. room. They were wintering over there. They had like a ra- they had one of these radio. They all sat around and talked to us. Wow. But that they couldn't help us. They could say, dude, that sucks. But that was about all they could do. <laughs> There's a few different stations in Antarctica, right? There are. Yeah. Okay. I've been to a Russian one and an Indian one and an American one, yeah. Well, I just so – so whilst we're in this trouble, like, trying to figure out who do we tell about our emergency, I didn't realize there was a whole internet storm happening about figuring out how we were going to pop up on the other side of Earth. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you did see it later then. I saw it later. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious what your guys' take is on whether to engage with that sort of thing. Do you just say, I'm not even going to feed that? Or do you say, okay – People really believe this stuff, so I'm going to I'm going to counteract it. Well, I think they just want Twitter followers. Okay. I'm making sure that you get a lot of comments on this podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's we, there's basic science education, hopefully, like vaccines work. 
the earth is round. We landed on the moon. Mm -hmm. So we should figure out how to solve cancer and how to bring people out of extreme poverty and how to make mm -hmm. electricity without polluting the earth to death. And, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's actual things that we done. need to fix yeah. and not silliness. And so the silliness distracts us. Mm. The fact mm -hmm. that, you know, you could be asking me about space and Yannick about making movies and we're talking about that. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk about meaningful stuff. Yeah. But then yeah. I kind of love the flat earthers because I don't understand <laughs> their way of thinking and I just... Mm -hmm really want to yeah mm -hmm. yeah how do you arrive at such a belief and hold it so strongly i know you had talked terry to uh mark Sargent, who's one of the proponents who really started the youtube movement for flat earth and we had him on our show and he talked a big game about the dome and he just had such an inventive mind and his ability to invent a solution to preserve his model was all that was required for him as long as i can imagine some way to explain phenomena x you know i've done well, that's my a job. good they should write manuscripts for movies i mean screenplays mm. the truman show there you go. i love that movie oh, it's they, a great they, they love, love that, that movie too, too. <laughs> great movie they should write the orbital mechanics for the space shuttle yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no or they shouldn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I hear a lot that sort of perspective of like, well, why give airtime to this to these bad ideas? And I, I feel more like, well, misinformation is like a virus, you know, it spreads and right. you can say we shouldn't have to build a vaccine against that. But oh, well, we do. <laughs> you so know? what's the way? So how do you kill? How do you de-weed your yard? Do you run around pulling weeds or do you make sure the grass grows well? Oh. And I think mm. a better way to do it is to have really strong grass and then the weeds will mm. actually die out. Because so what's the strong grass here? Science education, like just mm. understanding basics of life. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of countries that do basic science education, but the Internet, you know, everybody's got a conspiracy theory and it's it's a constant flat earth and aliens. And, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, it used to be JFK, but that was a long time ago <laughs> and now it's whatever. Now that's um, small potatoes. I, there's always going to be stuff like that. I get that. But like I said, there are some real things that we should be spending our time on and not necessarily some other stuff. But. Or, Terry, we could end up being the eight most famous people in the world for having time warped. That's true. You didn't <laughs> think did. of that. Well, we'll see what the endorsement deal is and, you know, we can change our tune. <laughs> well, um, speaking yeah. of other important things, you're missing a baseball game for oh us. My God. Thank you so much. And you're wearing a jersey for the Astros. Do you love them because of their name? Two jerseys. Add Astros. I'm actually a transplanted Astros fan. I was an Orioles fan growing up. I grew okay. up in Baltimore. Um, and I'm still an Orioles fan. I love the Orioles okay. as well. And I used to always root for an Astros-Orioles World Series when the Astros were in the National League. But oh, yeah. as Yannicka knows, now they're, they moved to the American League. Am I remembering, right, uh, Cal Ripken? Cal Ripken you Jr. Are, for yeah. the Orioles? Yeah. Iron Man. I used yeah. to be really into baseball growing up. Yeah. Nice. We were talking about Nolan Ryan before this. You had a signed Nolan Ryan baseball. I did. Nolan, space Nolan's son just offered me two tickets to the game tonight. I'm like, ah, I'm in oh, L.A. I can't go. Whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. How cool. So I yeah. had never even seen a baseball game until this year. <laughs> yeah. Her first Welcome game was at the Dodgers. Yeah. In the, in the suite. Yeah. Yannick, nice. you are from Norway. Uh-huh. Yeah, excellent. How's Norway doing this time of year? <laughs> it's colder. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like Frozen? <laughs> <laughs> I did. That's I love it. It's good because Ross worked yeah. on it. Are you looking forward to Frozen 2? It's coming soon. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, I want to be Elsa. Oh, I want to be Olaf. And my dad's you name is Olaf. Are. When oh, I launched what? on Soyuz, you have this talisman that tells uh -huh. you it's the Indicator Nivesimosti. So that tells you when you're weightless. 
obviously. And uh, <laughs> if you couldn't tell, it's a little doll. And Anton's daughter was eight, and she got a little Olaf doll. So we flew into space with an Olaf there. Oh, like dangling in the room. And then when she gets space, they start floating. And so yeah, Olaf's been to space. That's amazing. Yes. How much stuff can you pack to go up to space? On the Soyuz, one and a half kilograms. So like smaller than your purse there. Oh my god. Okay. And you still brought a baseball. Uh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, else, what else would I so bring? That Terry was, that opens was like his, his eyes wide yeah. in accusation. <laughs> yeah. How could you even ask? <laughs> We're talking about important stuff in this interview. What would you bring to space, Russ? Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing all the uh, camera equipment did not count. You can't. No, there, you're not even allowed to bring camera equipment. There's, uh, you don't need to. There's every camera you ever want. That was all space. part of the mission. Oh, what would I bring to space? Yeah, what fun thing would you bring? I, I don't know why I thought of a Rubik's Cube right away. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> cool to give you your kids but guys have tried to sneak cameras and i'm like why dude huh. why'd you bring a little camera yeah yeah if there's other cameras there's available. every professional camera in the world is this there. is a good question that i'm not prepared for can you bring food items like milk duds um they have like a separate place for that so you can get care packages like i love oh. reese's you know peanut butter cups so i got those and these mm-hmm. little chocolate blueberry dark chocolate things i love nice. them, so i did notice that fruit plays a large role in your book it seems like fruit was really Fruit's a premium. Amazing. Oh, yeah. It, it only comes up, you know, once every couple months on a cargo ship. And that's when the cargo ship doesn't blow up. <laughs> uh, we had three cargo ships blow up. Uh, oh, Cygnus, Orbital, now it's Northrop Grumman, blew up full of my chocolate and underwear oh. and everything else. And those and are all unmanned ships. Those right? are cargo, unmanned cargo ships. And then a few months later, a Russian Progress blew up. And then a few months after that, a SpaceX blew up. Oh, so, geez. yeah, no refreshes, it no sucked fruit. for eight months so that it, the station was running low on supplies. Thankfully, there was enough The NASA had managed it really well. There was enough spares, but oh. it was in one more and we would have had to start bringing the guys home. A real problem. Been, yeah. OK, yeah. but luckily that hasn't happened since. OK, I've got to ask you about another thing that falls within our bailiwick, and that's aliens. You mm-hmm. hear a lot of stories from astronauts who've seen interesting things in space or things they can't explain or, you know, sparkly objects. You know, and an astronaut's word is, I think, a little more interesting right. on such matters. What are your thoughts about life outside of our solar system in general, but also about whether any of it has visited here? So I've got a couple thoughts on that. I, that's always one of the top questions at every talk I ever give. And it's a valid one. So there's so many stars you cannot imagine. You go a couple hours north here mm-hmm. in the Sierra Nevadas at night, in the clear night, and look up, and it's like, wow. I gasped out loud the first time I saw that. And and all of the ones we can see with our naked eye aren't too far away. The, right. That's they're the- only tens and hundreds of light years away. But when you go to space, there's like 10 times more than wow. That's oh. more stars <laughs> than you can imagine. And now NASA has some satellites, Kepler and others that are looking for these planets and finding them. So there's billions of planets out there. And that's just in our galaxy. Mm -hmm. And there's billions of galaxies. So, of course, there's other planets like ours. So on the one hand, you would think that there's aliens. But on the other hand, the more I learned about life, I I did an awful lot of guinea pig investigations on my eyeball and my brain and my heart, just looking at all the details. Mm. The more I learned about life and the complexity of it, I just don't think it would ever happen on its own. Like if you took a pile of metal and left it on this table for a billion years, Mm -hmm. it would never make a Coke can. Mm -hmm. And I was just learning uh, my son, who's a chemical engineer in school, and he was telling me that even the simplest one-cell organisms have millions of molecules. Many of them have trillions of molecules. So to think that millions of molecules would suddenly line up in the exact right way and form an organism – 
with DNA that can replicate is crazy. Like that could never happen. So I just think you need – if you see a created thing, that means there's a creator. Okay. So even though there's billions of planets, I think so, if there's life, I think somebody has to make it, which maybe they did. I came away from space like I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, okay. But – all that stuff's kind of a moot point because those stars are really, 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 really far away. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been sending out signals now for 100 years, radio signals. So maybe the aliens will hear those one day. But they're eventually going to see these signals of Trump and Kim at that summit. And they're going to turn around and go somewhere else. Well, the first those. signal we sent out was uh, Hitler giving a speech. <laughs> so right. <laughs> that one's on they're the gonna leading, get They're going to get the those signals. Edge. Yeah. But th- that's a joke, obviously. But they're actually not going to get those signals because the sun – is so much brighter than the biggest antenna we have. Hmm. Like if we transmitted with all of our power possible, you would never hear it because the sun would just overwhelm it because it's so much more. Oh. The radio signals that it makes, you know, it would, the signal to noise ratio would never be what it needs to be. That's an interesting point. So there's lots of planets. So you'd think there would be aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers are good. I don't think there are unless somebody made it because life is just so complicated. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But even if there is, we're never going to see them because they're so far away. So we can we can track life back at least through kind of our evolutionary history back to early simpler forms. Yeah. Uh, but you would say kind of at some point you would need something to help out. With Who that. makes that first cell? Okay. Yeah. And even if you make one cell, what's the odds that that cell is going to survive and make two more? And what's the odds that those two are going to survive and make two more? And then, you know, how do you get an eyeball? Well, you've really zagged on us here. Yeah. If, if you have just par- a small part, of, if you just have an optic nerve, well, then you have to wait another billion years before the cornea forms. And then you have a billion years of some species with half of an eyeball. So that yeah. guy's going to die because he sucks to be him. You know, he's got a <laughs> – Oh, he, well, might, he, he might be better than the guy next to him. Right. With but, with no eyeball. Eyeball. but if you only have – yeah, but if you only have part of an eyeball, that's you're worse off, right? Until you get a fully operational one. So no. anyway, I mean because you know, like <laughs> like sensitive patches of skin still like gave information to the to the animal, even if it wasn't a fully formed eyeball. That I don't know. It could. But it's still complicated. <laughs> if, you know, it's a wonder to behold either way. It's pretty cool. It yeah. was fun. I love the science that we did because it was fun to kind of learn about all different subjects: biology, material science, physics, chemistry. Yeah. Oh, cool. man, yeah. Is that all part of kind of the required training? You're heading up there. You're going to be sort of the advocate or the the working arms of a bunch yeah, of scientists on absolutely. the ground who yeah. want you to be carrying out their experiments. Yeah. So I'm not a trained – I'm a fighter pilot by background. But these PhDs, you know, worked on this thing for five or ten years and finally it's in space and finally an astronaut's going to do it. And I've never seen it before and I show up and to handle those very diligently I and seriously because I knew some – a group of people's careers were focused on this one thing that I only had an hour to work on. So we're basically like lab techs who show up and do an experiment okay. with very little training. So you don't get the honorary degree for all this hard work you've done. No, I haven't gotten any honorary degrees. And just putting that out into the universe. We are. <laughs> we're sitting in USC. Come yeah. on, guys. No, I am at USC. Case anyone, I am. In case anyone's listening. <laughs> um, but so, so looping back to the earlier question, I think it's safe to say then that you don't think any aliens have visited this planet and people have maybe been misperceiving phenomena they've seen. I haven't seen anything like that personally. I know there's been – I mean there's been – look, people have seen stuff. There's been these reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times about these Tic Tacs that the Navy pilots have seen. And that's – I can't explain them. Mm. I, don't know. I didn't see Tic-tacs, it myself. Tic Tacs, I don't know what that means. You've heard about these, right? These Navy sightings. Yeah. Th- this came up recently, right, as a news item. Uh, the first one was in 2004 and there's been some recent ones. Yeah. It's 
been here or off the coast of California. These little round, they have, you can Google it on the Washington Post and you'll okay. see, you can see yeah, videos yeah. of these but things in F-18. Tic Tacs, meaning that's sort of the shape, shape of them. Like okay. oval, yeah. Gotcha. The Googles so you would, have flown out. You would yeah. say that's worth paying attention to. But. Well, you know, I can't, I, I haven't seen anything myself, but other sure. people see stuff. I mean, obviously most stuff can be explained. Okay. But, you know, it's funny to think that why would you travel all the way across the universe <laughs> and go to New Mexico? Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Of all the places to go, they go to Roswell. Well, they don't know where they're going. Yeah. They're just shooting and, out and there. Here's the other thing. Like, everybody's interested in Area 51. Well, what about Area 50? Mm. Nobody oh. ever talks about that. Uh-oh. Oh, you oh. just started a whole yeah, exactly. internet rumor. There's going to be a whole uh, storm yeah. area 50. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Burke says there's stuff there. Yeah. What's course, area 50? I don't know. It's a good question. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't get area 51 without uh, areas. <laughs> One through 49. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like WD-40. Yeah. You know, was there ever a WD-39? There was, yeah. yeah. That, there, Probably. That's the idea. There's that was the experiment that finally worked. And like, right. It's the Heinz 50. 57 or 87. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. No, that's how many flavors. The ketchup. That's like, that's how many spices they put in there. Are all in there? No, they said it was like the... That was a 57 Yeah, it was like... 57 yeah. iteration. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Because I think they did a a contest, and that's the oh. one that won was... Number that's 57. the one people liked the most. Who knew? Yeah. Well, well, now t- we're getting down to the important <laughs> issues. How does ketchup get named? So when is... Ketchup uh, in space. I, I assume the film is going to be called One More Orbit? Yes. And you're you're busy editing it right now? Yeah, yeah, we're we're editing it together with editors, yeah. And uh, how and when will people be able to see this? That's a great question. So, we finished color today. Tomorrow's like the final final edit. Uh and then from there the production company is going to take it out and Netflix, Hulu, whoever, you know, all the different distribution channels. So, we'll start that process the day after tomorrow. We never said it. What was the record for circumnavigating the the pole, the uh, north and south direction? 46 hours, 40 minutes, and 22 seconds. Wow. Not that anybody's counting. Plus or minus. Yeah, Yeah. I'll try to beat that, anybody else. (laughs) I uh, I was just reading about the guy who beat the uh, marathon record. Oh, my goodness. two hours. Wow, what an accomplishment. That's amazing. It's like 13 miles an hour or something like that. I couldn't run one lap. We were talking about the speed. We were in the gym, yeah, Yeah. and I was trying to put the treadmill on 21 kilometers. Per hour, it's just like there's no chance I could even yeah. run for two seconds. Oh, yeah. Here, all of us are just blathering away in U.S. measurements. We're the yeah. only country that does that. You're Yo, using sorry, the sensible. No, it's like 13 yes. miles an hour. It's it's yeah, not possible. Like I, crazy. it's basically go to the track at your local high school and run as fast as you can, mm-hmm. and, and do then that for after after miles. half of the lap, you're going to be out of breath. And that's how fast the guy did it for 26 miles. Yeah, and you did the flying equivalent of that uh, around the world. We did the flying equivalent. Yeah. Fantastic. That guy was moving fast. That that was impressive. It's cool to see humans do. Cool oh, Yannicka ran a you know, half I marathon with the guy. Ran yeah, a marathon with yeah. that guy. Yeah, what? what? And he was coming in for so uh, as I was finishing the half marathon, the people who run the full marathon come back and sort of loop back on themselves. Oh, sure. So so we all oh, end up in the same okay. goal. But the problem is, is that you have to run next to them as they're coming towards you as you run sort of away. And then it's, it's just terribly demotivating because <laughs> oh, right. I am so tired. I'm at this comes... two hour point <laughs> oh, and right. I'm just happy one foot is in front of the other. You know, I'm looking down to actually check if one foot is in front of the other. Eliud Kipchoge. That's 
And he's here, this guy is running as smoothly as anything, like a body length flying. between his feet, flying. It was so smooth he could be drinking a cup of tea. <laughs> I was so what a jealous. I was so <laughs> jealous, and just sort of like the the jealousy and hate I felt of how easy this guy could run and float. <laughs> it was it was unreal. Oh, that would be so dispiriting for me. Absolutely, I, I have a friend who runs sub six minute miles, and even that is frustrating. So I don't. Know what to do with a person I've like that. I've never run a mile. I don't believe that. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. That's literally true. I've stopped. I've like been told to wow. run the mile and then like, Not you even know, run and walk. Not even they make you go yeah, that's what I, Like yeah, for that's, the Nolan Ryan fitness test? Yeah. Or the presidential That's the closest yeah, the I've come. Yeah. It was eighth grade. Oh, they yeah. made us run the mile and I did it in 724. I remember that's that amount. That's really good. I well, I only did, I, I walked for part of it. Minutes mm. or hours? It took seven hours, but I did a great job. My pants were full of poop. That's that's really fast. Uh, Interesting. Well, my friend Ryan was keeping me going, but I I walked for part of it. Hmm. Yeah, me and Terry always have gym battles. Yeah. Oh, Jim. Okay. I went lose because Yannicka was on the Norwegian national speed skating team for the Olympics a few years ago. So whoa! Wait! Wait! What? What? Say that again. Yeah, she was. I, I, I never qualified speed for the Olympics. Oh, you never qualified. By two, okay. By two, oh, then, oh. Um, we're not impressed. Andrea, by two hundredths of a second. Oh my Holy god, crap. that's amazing! Can we find you skating on YouTube? It was before the YouTube oh. era. Oh, really? Yeah. It was before that, the internet. It was actually time before then. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been extraordinary. Thank you both so much. Yeah, I've, both of you are such fascinating people. Have done so many things. What's next after? One more orbit. Well, we've got I, a couple I, ideas for some TV shows. Okay. Oh. I know you're always running around. You've got, you know, 58 yeah. things you're doing. Yeah, we were in Chukotka the in the far east of Russia, far east yeah. of Siberia, 2,000 miles north of... Vladivostok. Mm. Yeah, we were... It was far. It was actually really close to Alaska. You could see Sarah Palin across the... <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was amazing. It was so beautiful there. It was really cool. I was doing a speech for a friend of mine from business school who runs a company there, and it was a really amazing thing. So we, we have some ideas about doing a TV show to visit these places I saw from Earth and see kind mm. of how the Earth affects people's lives. Mm. And it's very different living in the northern Arctic region versus living in the Bahamas versus living here yeah. where it's – today they're like, oh, it's warm. It's going to be warm on Wednesday. That should be earthquake weather, you know, like – if you live oh. in Southern California, there's earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you live in the Bahamas, there's hurricanes. If you yeah. live wherever, there's you know Namibia, there's sand dunes. And right. So everywhere on Earth, there's a different place. So different thing that's trying to kill you. I've got. I, I really want to do a documentary about gun violence. Oh, because okay. it's such a disaster in this country. Yeah. Yes. And I, I really want to. I don't want to make a political just throwing spears. That doesn't help. Mm-hmm. People who believe that are going to believe it and just get mad, and people who don't believe it aren't going to watch it. Right. So that mm-hmm. I want to make something that kind of moves the needle mm-hmm. otherwise you're just wasting your time yeah. wonderful fantastic i've got I'd, some other tv and documentary ideas so we'll see and books and too much to do not enough time to do it all so, hey. terry's a storyteller i i work with him to work on his emotions a bit more because they, they, they're there it's proven in lo- his book he does have, I have emotions, lots of emotions i'm a very emotional guy the problem is he goes, and then we landed in us. And, and, oh, there's a few more things that happened between like getting out of the International Space Station and then landing on Earth. So let's let's talk about that for a bit. So no shortage of ideas, no shortage of projects, all to make the world a better place and, and help people understand science a little better. 
Yeah, that's an important it's it's I never realized how much of a foundation it was until you see it under attack. Yeah. Like these diseases that were eradicated are now coming back, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. guys aren't getting the things you wouldn't think you would need to defend. Right. That's the kind of thing. You know, one of the things they always say, you know, and a- astronauts don't see borders in space. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. just all hold hands and sing kumbaya. So look, I was an Air Force fighter pilot for 30 years. I'm a realist. I'm not a idealist. You know, I, I understand the world we live in. But that border thing is almost true, except for it's not. I was in space for months, and I remember thinking, what is that river down there? And it's in mm-hmm. South Asia. There must be some bacteria that glow in the dark or something, because this, oh. this thing goes on for a 1,000 miles. And that river down there is, like, brown. And you can see it at nighttime. Well, it's not a river. It's the border between India and Pakistan, where the military DMZ is. Oh, it's like yeah, a yeah. military border. They have 10,000. I was reading about it. It's oh. this big thing where it's all lit up at nighttime. It's a military border. Oh, you my can goodness. see that. And the one that stands out more than anything is the North Korea-South Korea border. The oh, first time I flew yeah. over there, I had spent a year flying F-16s in Korea. And I looked down, and I'm like, wait a minute. There's no ocean there. What's going on? Well, it's not an ocean because it's black. It's North Korea. Mm. And you see this another one of these brown rivers, and it's the DMZ, which cracks me up because I don't know who gets the, the name. Demilitarized these zone, right? But the most heavily militarized place on Earth is the demilitarized zone. <laughs> oh, so right. you know you can see these borders. It's a real thing. That reminds mm. me of Doctor Strange. Love you can't fight in here. It's a war room. There's no fighting in the war room. So we, when I was doing nuclear weapons in the F-16, that was one of the movies we'd watch. It's kind of this this um, joke. Oh man, this is. Been fantastic. We could talk to you both forever. Uh, and and who knows what other amazing secrets and stories we would uh, find. But uh, how, how can people find out more? How can they follow both of you? So for me, I have a website, terryverch.com. And a lot of the projects I'm doing are on there. Astro Terry, you can find my Twitter and my Instagram and all of that. So terryverch.com is probably V-I-R-T-S. T-E-R-R-Y. V-I-R-T-S. That's Ex- right. Excellent. Yannicka. Yeah, I, I have an Instagram and a website, and getting people to spell Yannick isn't exactly <laughs> easy thing, but it is at Yannicka Life. Okay, so J-A-N-N-I-C-K-E. Wow. Oh, my hey. goodness. Ding, ding. Ring the bell. Life behind that. All right. Yeah. You'll find me. Excellent. Great. Life. Well, Thanks, thank, guys. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. And I'm Carrie Poppy. You can find us on the internet at facebook.com slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C, or on Twitter at Podcast. Also, I know we left quite a cliffhanger there with Terry and Yannicka talking about troubles over Antarctica, and we never followed up on that. Yannicka tells me that basically the aircraft froze while they were flying. They were in midair. Couldn't really do too much about it. It was negative 117 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, so that was the problem. Just in case you wanted to know. But they made it. They survived. Phew. Also, you can find us at our home, MaximumFun.org. And they have transcripts now. That's right. Yeah, you can find transcripts of our recent episodes. It's really cool. You can watch and read along in real time. Very cool. But you can also support us there if you want to support all of our investigations at MaximumFun.org donate. We really appreciate it. Thank you to all who support us. Also, if you want to record a Jumbotron for your loved one or for your worst enemy, uh, you can do that on <laughs> Oh No, Ross and Carrie through us we will say it for you but most people do it for kind reasons that's really the best thing to do anyways that's at maximumfund.org slash jumbotron it looks like you're thinking of messages you could send to worst enemies yeah to all my enemies it could work out it's worth it and remember no matter where you are from and how many people tell you it's not possible 
If you believe it's possible, go for it and don't listen to anybody. Believe in yourself. And also, don't tell yourself no. This week on Bullseye, Lin-Manuel Miranda on his dark materials, hip-hop, and life after Hamilton. I know it's the first line of my obituary. So if that line is handled, then what else can I do with my time here? It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, it's Jesse Thorne. We're very happy to announce that tickets for MaxFunCon 2020 will go on sale Friday, November 29th at 11 a.m. Pacific. I also want to let you know, this coming year, MaxFunCon 2020 will be our last MaxFunCon for the foreseeable future. For 2020 and beyond, we're going to be looking for ways to connect with more of you in person and spread the spirit of MaxFun farther than it's ever gone before. In the meantime, if you want to join us at the last MaxFunCon in Lake Arrowhead, June 12th through the 14th, you can find details at MaxFunCon.com. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.